Well, this is the beginning of a week that we reenact every year. The the week that marks the really the penultimate the a statement, the the second to last statement in the life of Jesus. And in this one week alone, uh, the week of the Passion, we experience the the total ecstasy of on Palm Sunday, Jesus being cheered as he comes into Jerusalem to Good Friday when Jesus is jeered on the cross, to Saturday when he lies in the tomb being called a fraud, and Sunday when he rises over death and sin and destruction and stands as the Lord of all for all time. What a, what a, what a swing week this is in the life of Jesus. And uh, today, our biblical text follows along the line of the Apostle Paul, the last book that he wrote in his life, Second Timothy, and this is the very last part of that book, the send-off. And one of the things you find is when people are speaking near the end of their life, and they know it, and they write things down, they tend to load the most important things into those last few words, those last few moments of their life. And we have the opportunity to see this in the life of Jesus, and today we'll see it in the life of Paul, as Paul is maybe heading into the last week or so of his life when he writes this letter, Second Timothy. And today, we're given an opportunity, a rather somber opportunity this week, as we look at life at its highest, death at its ugliest, and all the human range of emotion and experience that lies in between those things. And the question that comes out of today's text for me is, how do you measure a life? You know, you talk to some people, and the measure is having really good, really well-respected kids. You know, you've been, a, you've been a great parent. I know a lot of people do that. Others would look at personal achievements and value those. I got to meet a president. Uh, I got to travel here and there. Uh, some people would look at their material wealth and give that a strong nod. Uh, in fact, I have friends where I grew up in the University Place in Tacoma. One of them recently said, you know, I've made a lot of money. I'm really wealthy. I don't think I've stepped any, any, on anybody along the way. And certainly that's, that's, that's being good. God likes me and I'm going to go to heaven, right? And I went, oh, I think we need to have a conversation here uh, on a completely different track. But for some people, just the overall goodness of their life, their achievements and their material accumulations allow them to think that that's the measure of their life and, and they've got it made. Some of us want to be well-regarded and valuable in the community. We want to be seen and recognized for our contributions. How, how do you measure a life? Think about it for a second. How, how will you measure your life as it comes to an end? Now, many of you are one-third my age, and you haven't started doing this yet. There are a few of you here that are my age and older. And this question becomes a little more pressing the older you get. And by the time you get into your 50s and 60s, at least for me, my whole life has been, in the last 20 years, addressing this. How do I invest myself in younger generations of people and give them space to flourish and operate and be the next leaders in our world? So I want my life to be measured by the, by the legacy I can build into people. And, and how would you know? if you succeeded or failed at what you were doing. Next thing is, as you think about how you'd measure life, what do you think God says about a life of significance? How, would, how do you think God would speak to your set of measures for the quality and quantity and all that of life that you have? What do you think is important to God? And have you ever wondered, honestly, if you're on the right track or not? 
You, you, have you ever wondered, am I, am I really doing what's important or not? And, and if these questions seem important to you, I think you'll find some strength and guidance in these last words of Paul, in his conclusions to his second letter to his young protege, Timothy. 2 Timothy 4, 9-22, what does Paul think is important as he literally faces his final days on earth? Listen to the texture and content of the closing of this letter. And I, I want to point to the fact that Paul's going to mention a lot of relationships and very little about things. We're going to hear about a couple scraps of paper and a coat in here as things of importance. But the really important thing is the relationship he has with his Lord and with the people around him. So, so listen to these words. First of all, Paul knows his time is short. So he writes Timothy and he says, come to me quickly. You see, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crucens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is still with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm, and the Lord's going to repay him for what he's done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, and this was G, uh, Paul defending himself uh, to try to protect his life as he stood before the Roman uh, government. In my first defense, no one came to my support, but everybody deserted me. May, I not be, may it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side, and he gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, the household of Onesphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth. I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Come before winter. Eubulus greets you. So do Prudence, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Certainly, Lord, we've received grace upon grace from you in the gift of Jesus Christ in our lives. Lord, as we look at these final words of Paul this morning and get a glimpse of what makes a significant life and what's really important, speaks to us through this text and help us align ourselves with your eternal values of faith, hope, and love, placing our value and our investments in the things that endure. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when you first read the end of this letter to Timothy, you can see it just as a bunch of parting shots and, and a collection of little ideas and a bit of a hodgepodge, a jumble of thoughts, but you read through it a couple of times, and some things begin. Pardon me, a little tongue-tied. Some things begin to stick out. Um, even though Paul has Doctor Luke with him, he desires the companionship of this fellow named Timothy. He he wants to see Timothy one more time and be with him before we fin he finishes his life journey. And we don't know whether Timothy actually made it to see Paul or not. It's it's highly unlikely. Um, but what really seems to matter to Paul is not where he is, but who he's with. What's important to Paul is not where he is, 
but who he's with, where he's at. He values his relationship with Jesus as Lord. He tells us in verse 17, the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength and delivered me from the lion's mouth. And the Greek word there for giving me strength is, is a powerful impartation. Does, when you think of the word infusion, do you know what that means? I've, I've, I uh, one time had a stomach bleed and I was in the hospital. I lost about 60% of my blood in California and I was, I was bleeding out and I didn't know it, dying while I was teaching class at Fuller Seminary. And I wound up in the hospital and they had to infuse me with blood to save my life. And, and so an infusion means something from the outside being put into your system and catalyzing wellness. And what we see here is Paul says, Jesus infused in me his encouragement, his grace to the degree that I could value him in whatever I was going through and realizes that Jesus was bigger than any of his circumstances and that his relationships that he had with people were more important than the things he had communicated. And Paul realizes from the get-go that he belongs wholly to God. He's God's property. So even facing execution, Paul can say, Jesus delivered me from the lion's mouth. Isn't that interesting? You see, he's facing a sword that'll take his head off, but he already sees himself as delivered from the lion's mouth because of the strength of what Jesus Christ had done on the cross for him. Because Jesus walked this final week before he did. Paul can walk his final weeks with confidence and assurance. In his relationship with Jesus, he finds the strength to both live and die for God's sake. I think this is a noble aspiration, something we should all shoot for in our lives, to value the depth of God's care for us in such a way that it speaks louder to us than any circumstance that we're going through. And in such a way that fear and dread can't overtake us. I mentioned to you last week, I had this experience last Friday uh, of getting a call from an old congregational member, a woman that had been my clerk uh, of counsel at a previous church, and her kids called me and said, Mom wants you. Uh, her time has come, and she, she wants you with her. We need you at the hospital. And I, I, I ran up to Everett to the hospital and stood with his whole family. And, and here's my friend Joan with every system in her body shutting down. And I tapped her on the leg and said, I used to call her Joni Balboni. Joni Balboni, I'm here, and we're, we're here to be with you while you go to Jesus. And she was intubated and sedated, and she gets this big smile on her face and opens one eye and gives a wink as her whole family stands around her. She understood, even in those last moments, that Jesus was bigger than her body breaking down and giving out on her. And it was a beautiful thing to watch because we, the Lord's people, don't suffer at the end the way that other people do. We don't, we don't mourn hopelessly that this person is gone. We mourn that we've lost them and passed them along to the Lord, and they're in his good keeping. And we, too, are in his good keeping. There's a second level in this text. Paul values his relationships with his friends. They become part of his strength in the Lord. They become instruments of God to him. And while Paul has some really good friends who bring him joy, such as Luke and Timothy, you know, Mark, he asked for Mark to come, and this is an interesting tale of reconciliation. Paul and Mark were sideways with each other, and we read in the Gospels that Paul fired Mark. Couldn't work with him. They didn't click, and he sent him off. 
And now as Paul is in his final days, he says, Mark and I have squared things up. We've worked it out together. Bring him over. I want to see him. Get him here before winter. I want one last chance. I think to see him, and Paul probably wanted to say, brother, I know we had our differences, but we're all good now. We're in this, we're in this cause together. So there's a beautiful picture of reconciliation in a troubled relationship buried in this text. It's a huge story, but you miss it if you don't know about Paul's relationship with Mark. But as you read the scripture, you see that's really important. And Paul even talks about rascals like Alexander, this metalsmith who'd caused him harm. And he sort of releases him from Paul's concern, and Paul says the Lord will deal with him. We've all had people fail us and betray us. We've all had relationships break, and we all hope that those relationships come back together like the relationship between John Mark, Mark and Paul, between Mark and Paul. But not every time do the relationships that break come back. But in spite of that, Paul values relationships with other people as an essential connection with the Lord and a key value in his life. And the people he addresses here are people that he's poured his life into. He stayed at their houses. He's left coats behind. He stored papers with them that he entrusted. These were important figures in Paul's life. And I want to share some really important stuff about human community. If you live a life deep in in relationships, you have to build the relationships you build intentionally. Part of the reason we live in the Seattle freeze here is that we're we're good at being friendly on the surface. But we don't want to go that next step in friendship with people. And so we have a a friendly but distant city. In New York, you know nobody likes you. They look at the ground, they run over the top of you, you get in their way and they say, hey, you're on my street. And it's Broadway or Columbus, you know. But, but, but And that's the kind of relationship. In Seattle, we're friendly, we smile at each other, but we don't give a rip. We don't go too deep. And Paul points to us in this text that relationships that shape us and really matter go deeper. And the way we get deeper in our relationship is intentionalizing it and spending time together. And if you want a life deep in relationships, then you need to expect that you're going to be hurt, betrayed, double-crossed, rejected, and anything else you can possibly imagine. And that's why, and I've shared this a number of times, so I always come back to it. God's plan works like this. It works like this. Trust God and love people. Don't ever screw those up. I know you guys have heard me say this a whole bunch of times. But if you trust people and love God, you'll come up holding the short end of the stick. I'm not trustworthy. None of us are totally trustworthy in relationship. We bring our broken selves and we do the best we can. So like Paul, we trust God. And God will deal with the Alexanders. God will give opportunities to reconcile with the Marks. And God will provide great riches to us through the relationships and friendships that we have. And um, this is a a really important issue. Another thing that sticks out to me in today's message is how absolutely little things mean at the end of life. Paul is talking about all these friends. He's talking about these places he's been, these relationships that he has. But Jesus and a few good friends are the center of his life and existence. A few scrolls, maybe those scrolls that he asked for are some of the letters that we read in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, the letter to the Colossians, Romans. Who knows what were in those writings that Paul had stored with these friends. But he entrusted his very heart's 
expressions for these people to look after for him. And it's one of the few things that he mentions, a coat and some scraps of paper. And, but the big message is, get to me here, come before winter. And I think in a sense, there's some metaphor there. Paul was heading into the winter of his life, and he didn't want to live it alone. He wanted people to walk with him. And his final words in our text today are heartwarming to me. After genuinely stating his needs, wants, and hurts, and acknowledging that his time is short, Paul signs off really quickly, and he signs off with a blessing. Through all the ups and downs and in-between that he's lived, Paul cannot help but conclude with a blessing. He says, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. And I think of this when I say, may the Lord be with your spirit. That's not just a God bless you and give you a good parking space at Northgate. (laughs) You know, the idea of the Lord be with your spirit is, I pray for you that God will be united with you in the deepest, deepest place in your life that God will be united with you in meeting you in the places of your fears and anxieties, your concerns over your health and relationships, your family, your work, all those things. May, May the Lord be with your spirit. May Christ meet you all, Paul says, in the very deepest and most significant place in your being. And then may grace be there for everyone. And when Paul proclaims grace to all, he proclaims grace to Aquila and Priscilla and Junius and these people you hear in the letter, but he also proclaims grace to Mark, who had been on the outs with, and to Alexander, who had done him harm. Paul signs off with this rich blessing, and he desires that the Lord who delivered him and given him all things would do the very same for his friends. This week... As we wrap up today's message and wrap up this wonderful book of 2 Timothy, we're going to come to the Lord's table very, very conscious of the week that we're living in. This is the week of the Passion. This is the last week of Jesus' life. And as we do the Lord's Supper today, I'm going to ask Laurel to come up, one of our elders, and join me in uh, serving the Lord's Supper at the two corners here. And if you don't mind, we'll come forward and uh, serve Uh, Some of our people who need to stay in their seats first. But one of the things as we go to prayer on this that I want you to do is focus very profoundly on the bread and the cup. And it's meaning that Jesus Christ died for you so that you could live for him. Come and receive the gift of Christ's death so that you can live. I'm going to ask you to do something. We're, We're taking a little risk this morning because I'm a very relational, very cordial person. I love backslapping and lighthearted chatter as much as anybody else does. But here's what I'd like you to do this morning. I'd like you to think very seriously and a bit starkly on Jesus and what he did for you on the cross and the life he gave that gives meaning to this whole week, meaning to all of our lives. And then I'd love for you, when we pronounce the benediction, if you would just leave the room quietly. Just, just go out quietly. You can, you can visit once you get to the lobby. But just a sober, solemn moment to collect your thoughts around Jesus and his sacrifice as we get set to leave this morning. Can we do that? As a little experiment, it'll be awkward for those of us who like to stay here and visit. So get out to the library and take some time to reflect. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your table this morning, we acknowledge you, Jesus, as the Lord and giver of life. We acknowledge you as the one who comes to us 
and shows us a new model for humanity. And that model, Lord, comes, yes, out of your greatness, but also out of your humility and your final humiliation on the cross. Lord, that you died in our place in a mystery that we'll never understand, but we experience day to day as we receive your grace. That you died for us so that we can live. And we accept your gift of grace and we choose to walk in you. Lord, give us a vision this morning and a taste of what it means that you came and died for us so that we might live and reign with you. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen.